Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and we thank you for joining us with us in the studio today. I'm delighted to welcome your favorite, James Gearbrandt. And down the line, it gets even better because from uh, England's answer to Rio de Janeiro, Brighton, <laughs> it's Paul Hurst. Later on, we have a bumper quick hit special for you covering the rest of the Premier League outside the top two, plus the first managerial casualty of the summer. Uh, There is only one place to start, and that is with the conclusion of a phenomenal title race. Manchester City became the first team to retain the Premier League title for 10 years as they sealed the championship on the final day with a 4-1 win at Brighton. Paul, neither of these teams have dropped uh, a point since the start of March. We were waiting for that twist. We had a small twist with Brighton taking the lead, though, didn't we? Yes, there was a, a little bit of a, a blip for City. It was it was a strange atmosphere at, at Brighton yesterday. Really, really kind of nervous feeling in the stadium. Uh, City fans were really kind of quiet for the first 20 minutes. And it was almost as if they needed to go behind to actually kind of jolt them into life. They, were, they played a lot uh, much better when they went behind. Obviously, there was a really, really um, quick turnaround for the equaliser. Um, but as soon as they equalised, I just thought, yeah, they're, they're going to do it here and... You know, the nerves nerves weren't there anymore and they just um, they made it look quite easy in the end. Well, Riyad Mahrez was perhaps a surprise selection. Scored the third goal, that tipped the balance in City's favour. How do you assess Mahrez's first season at City, Paul? I'd probably give him, you know, six out of ten and it would have probably been a five out of ten until that goal yesterday. It's, um, obviously, you've got to kind of judge him by his price tag to a certain extent because you know he, he's the club's record side and he fell out of favour really quickly at the turn of the year and he's he's not really delivered in some games you're just really expecting him to you know to be the to be the you know the key man to, to win games but he just went missing in some games um, sometimes he felt like he was hiding from the ball a little bit he didn't always want the ball but he's, I think he scored 12 goals this season so you know, you'd probably give him a, you know, just about an average sort of six out of ten for the, for the whole season. Uh, Hirsty, our boss, Alex Kajowski, came up with something which I hadn't thought about, which probably explains why he's our boss. Um, everybody's going on about how crucial Fernandinho is and blah, blah, blah. And also we had the notion that Vincent Company was older and past it. They've conceded... 
just four goals since January. Um, and obviously Fernandinho missed big chunks of that, and obviously Vincent Company played a lot at the end. Is this something that maybe goes unnoticed a little bit, how this team, for all its attacking prowess, is actually absurdly good at not conceding goals too? Yeah, I, I think it, it's flown under the radar, really. It's something that Pep, you know, we always think of Pep Guardiola as this, you know, we, he's renowned for, you know, the attacking football. But he, he, he does pride himself a lot on his team's defensive record as well. I think there was one year in Germany where Bayern Munich conceded 17 goals in the league under him, which is, you know, ridiculous, isn't it, really? Um, and they have become a lot lot stronger defensively, particularly in the in the running this season. And I, I think his company has been a massive part of that. He's such an important figure. He, he brings he brings calm to that to that back four, and you know, he just knocked John Stones out of the team. John Stones is barely featured in the in the running, so it is a source of pride for Guardiola. They've they've managed to keep so many clean sheets, and they've got a a very good defensive record and you know it all boils down to the fact that opposition teams barely see the ball do they you know they they don't have the ball you know nowhere near as, as enough to kind of score against City well, Liverpool did their bit. They beat Wolves 2-0, finishing with a total of 97 points. That's the third highest points total in Premier League history, but they are runners-up. James, how do they get over this and motivate themselves to go again next season? I think um, every time you come close to winning a title and you don't win a title, I think it hurts. But I don't think this will be one of the... I don't think this will be a really psychologically scarring one. I'm not a sports psychologist, but I think the ones that really hurt are the ones where either you feel like you'll never get the opportunity again or you feel like you really threw away. And I don't think Liverpool will feel like either of those applies. I mean, yes, they did have the lead in the title race, but it was, you know, it was back in January, wasn't it? Um, And, you know, it's not like they sort of... They had it in their grasp with two games to go and they let it slip. You know, I think they'll feel like really they did all they could. And from a psychology point of view, I think it will help them massively to have the Champions League final, which, you know, will now obviously take up the focus of their attention. And obviously if they win it, that will give them a huge kind of psychological boost going into next season. Obviously, caveat is that we quite often liken sport to say, you know, oh, so-and-so is so good that, you know, they can't possibly, you know, they'll win it one day, they can't possibly get another chance, you know. You hear people say it all the time about golfers and tennis players, but you never know. You just never, ever know in, in sport. And I think this is an exceptional Liverpool team, but they've got to get past a an exceptional Manchester City team. There's no particular specific reason, I don't think, to think that City will be weaker next season, apart from maybe just a bit of natural kind of Attrition. Attrition. And you just you just never know. I mean what you know, what if Mohamed Salah has a season ending injury in November next season? You just don't know. But I think overall, from a psychology point of view, I think Liverpool will be fine. They have, you know, a great manager from that point of view, one of the kind of outstanding sort of managers most outstanding, outstanding managers in the game and someone who's renowned as, you know, an exceptional motivator of people. So I agree with Dr. Gearbrett. There's no <laughs> mo- motivation is not a problem. I think there might be more more practical issues that that might come in, such as the fact that it's not just injuries, but the reality is probably neither City nor Liverpool will get points at this pace next season. You would expect Spurs to be stronger 
you would expect. I mean, assuming they don't sell. Well, you're right. Actually, maybe Spurs won't be. If, if I mean, that, that all depends on Ericsson and Alderweire. But you'd expect some of the competition to be stronger. I mean, the way the top six absolutely stomped over, and then specifically those two absolutely stomped over all those teams outside the top six this season is 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 just unusual. In the same way, it would be unusual for for City to come close to 100 points three years in a row. I think to some degree that would actually be an indictment on the rest of the league that they can't figure this out at all, how to play against them. Sadio Mane and Mo Salah shared the golden boots with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Alisson won the golden glove for most clean sheets, so goals weren't a problem. Clean sheets weren't a problem. So what was the difference between City and Liverpool, James? Very, very little, basically, is the answer because... Um, you know, as we've talked about, there are so you know there are so many moments that you could pick out, and if they'd gone the other way, then Liverpool would have won. And you know, we'd be asking what was the difference between you know Liverpool and City. Where did City fall short? So, you know, but for the kind of width of a crossbar, or or the you know the what was it, a matter of millimeters yes. on a on a goal line clearance. So, I don't really think this Liverpool team really had any major failings. I mean, as we've talked about the numbers that they put up from you know whether it's points in the league to, you know, the goal difference differential, their title-winning numbers in most seasons. I'm going to chuck this out there. I look at this and I go player for player and I go eye test and I think Manchester City are a better side. Yeah, I agree. But not a one-point better side. They're a many-point better side. And I think what Liverpool achieved this season is unbelievable – because they're they're a substantially more limited, more limited. I mean, they're not an outstanding team, but they are substantially more limited. Whether you go through individuals or whether you go through through, through depth, I mean, we can we can sit here and you know we can we can praise Joel Matip and he's been fantastic, right? But the other guys have Otamendi and Stones and, and Laporte, and we can. And yes, the fullbacks at Liverpool are better, and you can discuss the strikers. Probably not much in it in, in terms of the front three. Although I'd but it's the still, midfield, isn't it? But yeah, yeah I mean that. I you know, and again, and I don't like Milner, Fabinho, Henderson, Keita when he's played, Wijnaldum, phenomenal. They've been great, but these are very good players who played outstanding, rather than necessarily outstanding players. I, Am I right here? I mean, should there be a bigger gap between these two? I don't think there's that much between the squads. I think Sid is, is better, maybe has a bit more depth. I don't think that defensively, as in like in terms of their defenders, I don't think there's that much between them. Forwards, again, I think not that much between them. Maybe City have a bit more in reserve. City probably have a slightly better midfield. For me, the, the difference when I, I think about City and, and Liverpool is I just feel like... City's way of playing football, to me, is just slightly more bulletproof, if that makes sense. I just feel they're just slightly more reliable at generating chances. And I think that's borne out. And you can talk about expected goals. And I think City do have quite a significant advantage there, if you look at that stat for the season. I think last season, sorry, last summer, they brought in Fabinho and Naby Keita. And I think... A lot of people sort of expected that 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 those two would basically be you know they go straight into the first choice eleven, 
and they'd be pretty much ever present. And I think both players kind of took a lot of, you know, actually took a bit of time, um, you know, whether that's because they, you know, whether that's you know basic, basic training groundwork to kind of adapt to the style that Liverpool play. If you remember, we all sort of wondered where Fabinho was for the first kind of three months of the season. You know, he sort of there were times when he wasn't even on the team sheet, and you were like, "What's happening here?" And he's actually come in in the final months of the season, and he's been, I think he's been really good, and he's you know he's played much more regularly. Those guys, you sort of when they were signed in the summer, and obviously at the kind of expense they were signed at, and because obviously they came with big reputation. I think maybe people expected those guys to maybe, you know, start sort of, let's say, 30 games in the season. And it obviously didn't work like that. And I think maybe next season, maybe they will. But, you know, obviously... And you have Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, of course, coming back as well. So maybe you don't need another... Yeah. Maybe you don't need another midfielder. I'm just thinking of Milner getting older and... Isn't his contract up as well? Um, Which they might... They may extend, they may not extend. But then again, I think think Wijnaldum was really good this season as well I mean I guess there's players like Vinaldum and Henderson I, I look at this these people who are in mid-career and they suddenly have an outstanding season yeah I mean really I mean they're not that they were bad players before but they really go to the next level normally it's not like somebody at 25 just turns a screw and all of a sudden you know starts playing at a much higher level for the rest of his career it's more a question of getting their spot so that that, that would have been my what Liverpool my trying to, what Liverpool have got uh, you know potentially trying to do if you think about it, it's really kind of almost unprecedented because they've just had a 97-point season. And, you know, most teams, when they have a 97-point season, almost, you know, without exception in the history of football, when they play at that kind of pace, have won the title. And, you know, in most cases, will not even have anyone close to them. Whereas Liverpool have played a season at this standard and they're looking at having to improve they've got to think about a way of actually playing at an even higher level across a league season, which is pretty much, you know, in the recent history of European football, it's kind of unprecedented. To yeah, no, no, I mean, that's why I asked. And I, I, um, I said, like, you, you would imagine that they won't be getting 97 points next year, but they might still win the league. And so it's a question of of thinking, how do I keep moving forward? How do I keep strengthening? How do I look at players who I think might not be on that level going forward because nobody remains on that level forever you know at some point some people drop and, and so just just i think just stuff to think about i think maybe as well just building in a little bit of you know just building a little bit more rotation into that squad yeah. um particularly i guess at the at the fullback positions where you know obviously they rely so much on alexander arnold and and robertson robertson in particular obviously to create chances as well and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think either of those players have really were really out for like a long no. term this season. No, so. we saw Gomez a couple of times. Um, for, that was more tactical, I think. So maybe just building in a bit of rotation at, at some spots in the in the lineup, but it's it, it's hard. I mean, Liverpool are in a really tough spot because they played this incredible season, and they've got to go and try and be even better next season. And it's really it's actually hard to work out where where that can be. This season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League. It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. It was a heavy defeat for Brighton, who subsequently announced the dismissal of manager Chris Hewton on Monday morning. Hewton took Brighton into the Premier League. He kept them there for two seasons, led them to their first FA Cup semi-final in 36 years. So, why? 
have Brighton given him the boot, James? First of all, I think this FA Cup semi-final thing, let's knock that on the head. I think it's fairly well established that, rightly or wrongly, whether you agree or disagree, managers, when it comes to boards making a decision about whether or not to keep them, cups do not buy managers a lot of credit. And we've seen this time and again over recent seasons. Louis van Gaal getting sacked after they won the FA Cup. Watford sacking Kike Sanchez-Flores after they'd had a great FA Cup run. I can think of, you know, plenty more other examples. It it just does not buy managers that much credit. And I think in Brighton's case, clearly it's come down to their league form. Yes, Houston kept them in the division and that obviously was their principal objective, but they've, you know, achieved it. Would you have sacked them? Yeah. Uh, I'm afraid so because sorry I know it's really hard I, I feel harsh I saying think that about it. yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> no I mean their form, look their form has been really poor um, I think in the statement you know their chairman pointed to the three wins in 23 Premier League games for me this is not a terrible squad this is not a championship level squad where you're really kind of fighting tooth and nail to keep them in the division I think they got some quite good players and they spent some some good money they spent too. some good money over the summer I think and you know I think they've got they've got decent players and decent depth I think Basuma in midfield looks like a really good player Pascal Gross goes back to being the guy he was two years ago yeah what and what what Hewton did with Gross this season as well kind of dropping him back into the midfield having played him as a sort of number 10 last season just did not work and I think Obviously, the, the, one of the big signings over the summer was Ali Reza Yehanbaksh, who came with you know a great kind of CV from the Eredivisie, the, the Dutch top flight. And you know, I think people we have a tendency to kind of say because he hasn't had a very good first season. We have a tendency to say, oh, he's just you know, he's just rubbish. You know that his numbers were inflated by playing in a terrible league. I mean, this is a player who the season before last outperformed the likes of Ziyech and Neres in the Dutch top division. So I don't think he's a bad player. I think maybe Brighton just have not have not got the return that they might have wanted on what they did in the summer. I think, I mean, I know this, this comes into it, right? Because people don't, I think we've all met Chris Hewton and he's a really good person in addition to, I think, being a very good manager. You know, there's the old thing about so Alex Ferguson, I think, once said that, you know, you you either change the squad every three years or you have to change the manager, keep people motivated and going, right? I think when you when you look at the players that they signed and the view of how they believe football should be played to give them the best, not, not because it's a nice thing to do, but because to give them the best chance of staying up, I think it's pretty obvious that the way Brighton played this year didn't meet that. You know, it's not, it wasn't progressive and you don't play progressive football because it's nice or fun you play progressive football because you think I mean if you're Tony Bloom who you know his background is in professional gambling this is a very and poker this is a very rational person who plays the percentages and knows them very very well right if he wants to play a more progressive brand of football and he buys the players to do that it's because he thinks that this is the way to keep them up and I mean, Chris Hutton wasn't Hutton wasn't doing that. You see you know, so or, much or, 
so much reaction to this decision as well on along the lines of you know oh well I guess he should have played really attacking football and gone down shouldn't he but it's like no he should have played attacking football and gone up and they think that there's somebody else who can do that it's not an either or it's not you know play defensively and stay up or you know attacking football doesn't necessarily mean playing you know really wide open and naive and you know ultimately getting relegated you know but what Bournemouth do under Eddie Howe I mean I know it's not they're not miles ahead of Brighton, but you know I think they're you know probably a better side than Brighton are. Look at you know the way that South, you know when Southampton appointed Ralph Hasenhutel, you know they didn't they didn't go down. I mean it's interesting when you consider, as you already rightly pointed out, the money that he spent. Lucadia fourteen million, Isquierdo sixteen million, Jahanbash seventeen million. Then you've got Basuma at fifteen million, Davy Proper at twelve million. Spent a lot of money and only finished two points clear of Cardiff. Right. That's not a great return, is it, really? So you can sort of, in that sense, see the thinking of the board, who, as you say, there's Tony Bloom, who will use data analysts to work out where they should be finishing and all that sort of thing. Yeah, and, well, you know, you have a good run, you move on, you, you take the club in a, in, in, in a new direction. I, I don't think we should be treating this as a, as a tragedy. And, in fact, if Chris Hutton wants to manage again, I don't think he's going to have any trouble finding a job because the reality is he is somebody that you want representing your club because... You know, his, his football works. He's a gentleman. You know, in the end, you know, we, we, we joke about this, right? But I think it also matters how you present yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're Neil Warnock, you present yourself in a certain way. If you're Chris Hutton, you present yourself in a different way. If you're one of those guys who goes and whinges and whines about the referee or the injuries or this and that or, or leak stuff to the media about the club wouldn't buy me that, they're not backing me, all this stuff. And I'm not going to name names, but... I'm assuming we all know who I'm talking about because there's more than one example of this. I think people look at that into people take that into account. So I, I hope Chris Shooten comes back to the Premier League. I think he is a Premier League manager, yeah. but I can also understand why the club didn't feel he's right for Brighton right now, given the choices that that that, that they've made. And, and these recruitment choices, by the way, like people seem to misunderstand this. Like if you spend 14 million on Jurgen Lukadia, and right, and he has a marginal impact this year, it's not like Brighton can just say, okay, Lukadia. Let's sell you somewhere else because Brighton are a Premier League club, which means that they either sell him to another Premier League club or they sell him at a loss. There's no two ways about this, right? So they're on the hook for all these guys. And so they have to find a guy who can embrace this group of players and continue and continue building with this group of players. The favourite with bookmakers to take over is Graham Potter who's obviously uh, come to England. The Swansea manager. Yeah. and, was, and is it Formerly at Ostersons. Indeed, indeed. What do we think of him as a potential replacement then? I think that would be a very exciting appointment. I mean... Yeah. Has Swansea been any good, Natalie? I have no idea. Oh, they've just had patches, haven't they? I mean, they've been very good against Brentford. I mean, they beat us <laughs> and Daniel James was particularly very good. But um, This is Manchester United-bound Daniel James. Indeed. I think we get some background here because not only the listeners will know this, right? So Graham Potter is, and you know more about his history, but basically this is a guy who, for whatever reason, didn't come up as a manager through the English system. Mm-hmm. And he goes to Ostersons, does really well. They do have some money behind him. Does all sorts of progressive things, you know, dance classes with the players and stuff like that. And it seems, and obviously it's, it's, it's progressive, pass-oriented football. I'm imagining proper football, man. And, you know, that your Deitch, your, your, your Warnock, your, you know, ex-pro talking on Sky would be like, you know, this is all kind of fruity and new agey and, and whatever. And it takes a certain type of club to go and embrace that. Obviously, Swansea with the legacy of Brendan Rodgers and Roberto Martinez and stuff like that. And, you know, that was a home for him. 
But is that a fair characterization of, of Potter, or are we kind of... I think that's fair. I think you know, what, it's the kind of guy hipsters would love. Correct. I think what, what Potter did at, at Ustersund was kind of remarkable in the journey that he took the club on from being in, I think, I think the fourth tier of Swedish football when he took over to obviously going up through the divisions into the top flight of Swedish football, getting into the Europa League, getting out of the Europa League group, almost beating Arsenal winning the Swedish Cup. He did an unbelievable job at Östersund, albeit, yes, they did have some financial backing. And what I think kind of made a few people take notice of him, other than the results, is that he has a very kind of holistic, interesting philosophy that kind of, you know, takes care of the whole culture around the club. He's not just a manager who cares solely about results. He's someone who kind of, you know, has a very broad, holistic view of the club as a kind of entity within the city and the whole culture around it and stuff like that. And I think his first season at Swansea, whilst they didn't make the playoffs, I think he was working with a lot of limitations at Swansea. Slightly difficult background situation there. I think you would kind of say that his first season at Swansea broadly was quite encouraging. I think that would be a fair kind of characterisation of his first season at Swansea. So, yeah, for me, I think I think he would be, he'd be a really exciting appointment. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode, and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. It's time now for our weekly predictions game, where we try and predict the scores in five featured matches from this weekend. This is obviously just for fun because <laughs> the seasonal competition is over. We both expected Manchester City and Liverpool to win. Uh, boy, that was a challenge, wasn't it? <laughs> Although neither of us were able to predict the correct scoreline. Uh, in the Championship playoffs, Gab, you went for a draw between Derby and Leeds, but I correctly called a win for Marcelo Bielsa's team. Last time, I believe, in Frank. Uh, but in Scotland, I predicted a win for Stevie G's Rangers against Celtic. Oh, I know. Unlike you meaning we were all square. Yeah, so it all came down to what happened at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Gav, you went for a 2-1 Everton win. <gasps> you were so close, in a way. You, 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 they Everton had... deserved to win. Well, they 
might have deserved to win in your eyes, but it ended up being a draw, meaning I take home the victory this week. Okay, enough of this, since uh, clearly I've been stitched up with the predictions. How about some quick hits instead? Huddersfield were relegated long, long ago. Hursty, any reason to think we'll see them back soon? And what do you make of this lovable Jan Sievert character? He's a very warm and, you know, happy-go-lucky kind of guy, Stuart, isn't he? No, he's, he's very... Every time I've seen him, he's he looked grumpy, hasn't he? A bit miserable, but they, they will get the, the parachute payments, obviously, this this summer so that will help and I think they do have a, a very good chance of coming straight back up Three managers more than 100 million net spend and they go down James what important lessons have Fulham learned? Fulham had a rough old season didn't they um, and I think in a kind of unfortunate way they found themselves in a position where they probably had to sack Jukanovic just to give themselves a chance of staying up the subsequent appointment did not work out of Ranieri and now they find themselves in a position where Scott Parker, who is really a managerial novice, is in charge, and they've probably taken two steps back. I, I think there are kind of there are issues of kind of the long term vision around the club at a sort of boardroom level. I think. So what they've learned is very little. <laughs> is what he means. I, I would agree with that. Yes. <laughs> Neil Warnock says that even if he does leave, Cardiff have made progress and might do a Burnley and come straight back up, but then consolidate mid table. Are you buying this, Hursty? That he really believes that even if he goes, the club will be just fine. Again, they'll get the parachute payments, won't they? So they'll that'll help them um, immensely. I think they've got this thing with the kind of squad that's got them up, so that will that will help them as well. I, I think one will end up carrying on. He that's his bag, isn't it? He's getting promoted from the Championship. He loves that probably more than the Premier League. So he loves proving his doubt was wrong. So I, I think he'll end up staying. Glenn Murray scored 25 Premier League goals over two seasons to help Brighton avoid the drop, but he is 36 in September. James, how confident are you that he could be replaced? I guess it really depends on how, potentially with Hewton leaving, Brighton may play a completely different style next season, which may not necessarily have suited Murray anyway. Um, I think the goals that he's contributed at for kind of the level of team that Brighton have been, I think, has been a really excellent return, and I think it is hard to find players that score that prolifically for teams that, you know, don't dominate possession or, you know, if you remember their first season back in the Premier League, obviously Pascal Gross had a great season and so they weren't quite as reliant on Murray's goals. This season, for whatever reason, Gross's contribution kind of regressed and so they were much more reliant on Murray. Um, and you probably, I mean, whoever starts up front for them, you probably don't want to be that reliant on your on one player scoring goals. Sean Dyche and Burnley do it again, um, but... Hirsty, are his skills transferable to a bigger club? He needs to be given that chance, doesn't he? We're sort of waiting for him to prove in a bigger setting with more, you know, a, a bigger challenge that he can actually do it with more money, uh, etc. Um, I'd love to see him be given a, a crack at a bigger job. Um, Why? Because you enjoy his football so much? or I, I just love, love hearing his voice on Match of the Day, and, you know, give it, so get more airtime that way. It is wonderful. As our yeah. former colleague Rory K. Smith once said, it makes you wonder what his safe word is. <laughs> Ralph Hassenhuttle gave Southampton a tremendous lift after taking over in mid-season. There is a fair bit of talent down at St. Mary's. James, can they be a top 10 side with a little bit of further investment? Yeah, they're, they're basically a side that a club that works by buying players, turning them into really good players, selling them on at a profit, 
and reinvesting that money. Nothing wrong with that approach. It's a very good, sustainable approach. The trouble is that if you start missing a little bit in the transfer market or you just don't hit quite as regularly, you can sort of end up presiding over a sort of gradual decline in the quality of the squad. And I kind of feel that's what's happened a little bit at Southampton. I do think they have some really good kind of individual pieces to build around. I, I personally think Hoiberg is really good. Um, and also I think Bednarak has had a really good season at the back. I like Angus Garner as a young goalkeeper. And I do think Ralph Hasenhutl did a really good job. So I'm kind of on the fence about Southampton. I think there are reasons for optimism, but I must say I don't see them breaking into the top 10 next season. Top 10 form since Hasenhutl took over, right? No. No? No. 13th, if you look at the table, since Hasenhutl took over. Oh, he comes armed with numbers. He knows. I guess we'll know soon whether or not Rafa Benitez sticks around in Newcastle. But, Hirsty, what's your hunch? And if he does go, I'm not going to ask for a name because that would be puerile and childish, but what type of manager would you like to see in his place? I mean, whoever, if he does leave, it will have to be a gullible manager to take that job with Mike Ashley in charge of the money, really. Uh, but I, I think I think he'll he'll end up staying. He'll, he'll obviously, he, he wants reassurances, doesn't he, that he'll, he'll get money to spend and, you know, he's, he's entitled to those. Uh, to ask for those reassurance because he's a you know he's a, a top class manager. Jefferson Lerma, David Brooks, Callum Wilson, Ryan Fraser, Nathan Ake, plus this young keeper Mark Travers. James, are Bournemouth actually a lot more talented than people realise? Yeah, I, look, I do think Bournemouth have a lot. They have a lot of great individual talent. I think particularly on the attacking side of the ball. I think someone was telling me the other, the other day that I think it's open play chances created. Ryan Fraser is only behind, or he's like he's he's right mm. up at the top in mm. Europe. I think Fraser's had a phenomenal season, and they do really well to hang on to him. And you know, I really like David Brooks as well. I think we'd all like to see Lewis Cook have a have a good season after because he after his injury after his injury yeah. come back strongly next season as well. Like a new signing, as Arsene Wenger might say. Like every year, when we talk about Palace, we talk about Wilfred Zaha. Hirsty, do you see him leaving, or is he going to be Selhurst Park's answer to Harry Kane and stay there forever? I think he will end up leaving eventually, won't he? I think he he needs to challenge himself at a, a bigger club. I know it didn't work out at United. He's 26 now, sort of reaching the peak of his his career. I think the problem that Palace has is if they sell him and Wan-Bissaka this summer, you know, they take the two best players out of the team, really. So I think he might they might try and tempt him to stay for one more year, but you know, I think he will eventually end up leaving. Natalie, one for you. Oh. I really want a Leeds versus Aston Villa playoff final. Preferably one where they work out how to how they can both be promoted to the Premier League, because right. frankly, I miss them. <laughs> um is that gonna happen? Well, let's run you through what's happened then in the championship playoffs. It is advantage, Aston Villa and Leeds. Villa came from behind to beat West Brom 2-1 at Villa Park. Leeds were 1-0 winners at uh, Derby, thanks to Kimar Roof's goal. Uh, two Premier League referees were officiating. Graham Scott was involved in the debatable sending off of West Brom's Dwight Gale for a second yellow card after a challenge on the Villa goalkeeper Jed Steer. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I saw that. What was debatable about that? Well, you, you, we, 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 I mean, honestly. Like, Some would argue that he has what? a right to go in. Yeah, in prison, he's got a right to go in. Well, I actually know, because this is the one we went on the keeper, right? I actually saw that. He has zero chance of getting to the ball. No, he has I'm no just chance. just telling you, that's the debate. Some people were saying, I'd love as a to striker's, know with a striker's instinct, that's what he's going to do. Striker's instinct to get to a ball he can't get to. All right. Anyway. Let him know you're there. No, I like Dwight Gilb. I'm sorry. He's, he's 
He's been yellow carded. He's a second yellow. He's off. Craig Pawson awarded Derby a penalty late on, but then his assistant, Eddie Smart, helped him in rescinding that spot kick. You might say that was a smart decision. <laughs> so West Brom hosts Villa on Tuesday. Leeds play Derby on Wednesday. It could be a Leeds-Villa final gab. So that's half the answer that you wanted. But of course, they both can't go up. Half the Times writers who were polled at the start of the season predicted Watford to go down. Instead, they're 11th and in an FA Cup final. James, you saw this all coming along, didn't you? Or did you predict that Watford would go down? I don't... So (laughs) I didn't predict Watford to go down, but I did have Harry Gracia as my first manager of the season to get sacked. Why? So, because they had a really front-loaded schedule. Like they had like a nightmarish September, October, and I just thought he might not survive. But obviously he did, and they, they really thrived. I think probably what we kind of collectively underestimated, I think, were two things. I think the central midfield of Etienne Capou and Abdullah Dekore, which I think really showed itself to be one of the best central midfield units outside the top six. And also, um, perhaps more justifiably, we failed to see coming a real career year for Gerard Delefeu, who had not scored more than, I think, four goals in any of his previous top flight campaigns and ended with ten, plus, I think, five assists this season. So a really, a really great season by him. And I think that was a big part of powering Watford's pretty impressive season. I want to make the point that player for player, Leicester's starting 11 isn't far off the bottom reaches of the top six. In fact, if you did a combined Leicester-Arsenal 11, you might actually have more Leicester players in there. Hirsty, do you agree, and are they the best place side to be the best of the rest next season? Yes, yeah. I, I look at their squad, I think there's a lot of good young talent in there. I love Harvey Barnes, um, who was on load at West Brom in the first half of the season. He's a fantastic player and and Madison as well, and I, you know, I, if I was a, a neutral fan, I'd, I'd pay to watch them because I just think they are a very interesting, very attacking team to watch. I love the way that they kind of pass it out from the back, and yeah, I, I think they are a, they have the potential to you know challenge the top six next season. Yeah, before you go and crucify Unai Emery, uh, Arsenal fans, go and play the combined eleven game. You might surprise yourself. A massive stadium, massive spending, massive wage bill, and West Ham are still massively mid-table. We all like Declan Rice, but James, any hints the club are actually moving in the right direction? Honestly, I, I, I find West Ham one of one of the hardest clubs to analyse. They just they were just so kind of all over the place this season. At times they looked excellent. I think particularly in the sort of earlier months of the season when Felipe Anderson was playing really well. I think they looked good. And I think for a lot of kind of um the sort of second half of the season just looked a real kind of mess to be honest and, and had some really kind of woeful performances and then suddenly just ended the season really strongly with I think three consecutive wins who knows with West Ham <laughs> <laughs> Big plans afoot at Everton with the relatively new owners and the new stadium possibly one day. Hirsty, what does Marco Silva most need to be a success? does need to break into that top six doesn't he? I mean, they, they, gave, they gave him a lot of money last year and they probably will do again this summer and they're still 12 points behind a very core Man United team who will you know you presume that they'll improve next season so Everton fans probably do need a an actual kind of tilt at the top six for Silver to be regarded as a, a success 
Wolverhampton Wanderers won the best of the rest title in their first season up. James, how does this story end? Is it all in George Mendes' hands? If I had to make a really bold prediction about next season, it would be, I think Wolves, if Man City win the cup final and Wolves qualify for the Europa League, I think Wolves will get to the semi-finals of the Europa League, at least. I think they're very well positioned to have a really strong European campaign. I think the way they play and the, the manager they have, they're really well positioned to succeed kind of against good sides over two legs. Wolves were an, outst- an outstanding defensive team this season. I mean, going on expected goals, a lot of the expected goals models had Wolves as being the, you know, the third or fourth best defence in the in the league this season. Everybody seems to agree that major surgery is required at Manchester United, but it's not clear where to start. Hursty, do you think Ed Woodward regrets giving Ole Gunnar Solskjaer the job back in early April? Looking at the results, you'd probably say yes, wouldn't you? He's, he's just gone downhill so fast now. And that end of the season, you know, drawing against Huddersfield and losing to Cardiff is just a huge embarrassment for the club. And, you know, that... That puts the pressure on Solskjaer for the start of next season. If he, if he doesn't start well, then then questions are going to be asked and about his, you know, whether he's good enough for the job. Pierre Emerick Aubameyang and Alexander Lacazette end the season with a combined 35 Premier League goals for Arsenal. Not too bad then, James. Is it just the case of adding a couple of defenders, replacing Ramsey, and they'll be good to go again? Their defence is bad, not just by big six standards. I think their defence their defense is really kind of, is basically average by Premier League standards. They basically have a mid-table defence. They conceded, I think, 51 goals this season. That was actually an overperformance of expected goals, helped by Bernd Leno having a really good season. For me, I mean, yes, I think obviously you start by adding, you know, better defenders basically in the transfer market, but I think it's only... It's only a start. I think they have, you know, obviously it would be incredible for them if they could find, you know, someone, a sort of transformative signing of the, you know, calibre of Virgil van Dijk. But obviously that type of player is really hard to find. And expensive. And expensive. And that's before we even get started on replacing Ramsey, which I think is easier said than done as well. But with Aubameyang and Lacazette, they will score a lot of goals next season. Eden Hazard says he made his decision in terms of staying or leaving Chelsea, but it's, quote, not up to him. Hursty, what are we waiting for? News on the transfer ban? A bigger, better offer from Real Madrid? I think Chelsea are holding out for a bit more money, aren't they? But they, can't, they will end up selling him because he's, he's got one year left on his contract. And, you know, he's, he's, the transfer ban, you know, they, they can't, obviously can't sign anyone um, to, to replace him. But they have, do have Pulisic coming in because he signed him before the ban. Um so, yeah, I think he will end up going, but just need a bit more money. More importantly, are you surfing today? <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I did think halfway through that answer. I thought, uh, yeah, I thought I might be having breakfast with seagulls. I'm actually sat on the, on the, um, uh, on the beach in Brighton. Well, not actually on the beach, but like on a, on a bench beside the beach. You can see Brighton. You're in your Are you ready uh, to hit the waves? Or is no, that more of a Newport um, thing? Um, no, but I've got... The, Someone discarded um, a sandwich or something, or remnants of a sandwich next to me, and that's why a flock of seagulls is just pecking at it. What, what are the chances that on the uh, on the day that Brighton sacked Chris Hutton, a flock of predatory seagulls <laughs> descends? Surely some sort of omen there.
Tottenham made zero signings, lost Harry Kane for a quarter of the season and still finished top four. James, assuming some money is spent in the summer and Kane stays healthy, can they close the gap on the top two? Tottenham's season is such a funny one because we'll all broadly remember this as being, you know, a great Tottenham season because obviously they got the Champions League final and, you know, in the league they they did the job. And I think that's what we'll kind of broadly remember for this season. But really, their their league form to end this season, it's probably been the worst of Pochettino's tenure. I think they took 11 points from their last 12 games, which is really... I mean, that's, that's a really bad run. I don't see much about Tottenham's league season that kind of suggests to me that they will close the gap on Man City and Liverpool, apart from the fact that I think City and Liverpool will just naturally regress a bit next season. Gab, one for you. I was going to ask you about the title race in Germany, but I actually hear events in Switzerland were rather more interesting. That's right, even though the Bundesliga is going down to the last game. There's remarkable scenes in Lucerne where um, the uh, home side hosted Grasshoppers. Now, you remember Grasshoppers, one of those Swiss teams with, with a funny name, but I think they're historically the most successful Swiss team, and they've been relegated. This was coming. The fans were not happy. The visiting Grasshoppers uh, fans basically stormed the pitch, and uh, they made the players, they, they said the players weren't fit to wear the shirts, and they sort of forced them to remove their uh, shorts and uh, their shirts and uh, troop around in their underwear. They said they could play on in their underwear, but they weren't allowed to wear their shirts. Uh, the police intervened, and the match was abandoned. So much for all those who think that nothing ever happens in Switzerland. Right, that's all we've got time for today. Many, many thanks to our excellent guests, Paul Hurst and James Gearbrand, and also the Seagulls who accompanied us during our journey. They were lovely, weren't they? Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It is just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. We're going to be back on Thursday looking ahead at the FA Cup final, Manchester City versus Watford. Can City do the domestic treble, or indeed the domestic quadruple, if you count the community shield, as some people like to do? The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.